questions, comments, discussions, things that come up as a result of this evening's meditation and description of working with feeling? Or anything else? I mean, it's not just limited to that. Wise jokes from the peanut gallery. I found it challenging to try to, you know, distinguish between the feeling one was positive or negative and, you know, making that distinction or observing how I was reacting to it, my reaction, just observing my reaction to it. For you, Jeff, they're not so clear. The feeling and the reaction to it's not so clear. Yeah, I guess it's hard to, like, separate it out. Yeah, I mean, just see the, okay, this is the, this is the feeling, this is the reaction, and then looking at both separately. You know, just, that was kind of challenging. Uh, I think these things take practice. Yeah. So, uh, so at some point, did you actually make that little clear distinction between the reaction and the feeling? Right, because the feeling you don't have any control over. That's just happening. Mm-hmm. You know, but the reaction we can watch it happening, and then the way we relate to the reaction has a huge impact on whether it continues or it softens or it releases. And so, can you say that one more time? What you just said? The feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, we don't have control over. Yeah? But the reaction, we have a huge impact on by how we attend to it, whether we increase it, whether we decrease it, or whether we dismantle it. Yeah? It's actually not entirely true that we have no control over how we experience things. Because, you know, a lot of feeling is highly conditioned, okay? And habituated, right? So. And you can unlearn that. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, so there's this, there's this story. Manindraji was one of the meditation teachers of Joseph, Jack, and Sharon. And he's a, he's a Bengali person. And Bengali people have a complete kind of addiction with Bengali sweets. Like, it's just like, they're totally addicted, you know? Good. Bengali sweets, they're is sweeter than sweet. I mean, I don't know how on earth they make them so sweet, but they're just incredibly sweet. So one time, Manindraji was obsessed with Bengali sweets. And so he did everything he could to know how to deal with the Bengali sweets, and he was still totally obsessed with the Bengali sweets. So he asked his brother to go buy him a pound. A pound of Bengali sweets is like, oh my God, it's like, it's impossible to imagine a pound of Bengali sweets. And he sat there and mindfully ate every single one of those Bengali sweets in one sitting. And at the end of that, Bengali sweets were no longer pleasant. I did that in the fifth grade at Halloween. I traded my brother's for all the Butterfingers. And I ate ate like 15 fun-sized Butterfingers watching cartoons. I've never wanted one since. (laughs) I did that with coconut chocolate cookies, and I threw up in my bed. So, you know, what we think is absolutely pleasant is totally dependent on our relationship with it. We can condition it, you know. So, you know, have you been in the airport and there's these things of, like, is it artwork or is it graffiti? Is it, you know, they've got all these things, is it this or is it that? Is this, and all, I don't know, airport's all over the place. But it's like how you frame it. It's not actually locked into the thing itself, you know? So, you know, one of the joys and the challenges of being on a path of inquiry is to begin to get some crowbars into this stuff that we think is just set. This sucks, or this is fabulous. i got to have that, you know? 
So when we have our whole system going around, this sucks, you know, then we need to actually look and see, well, how can we see what's in this that's beautiful? Or how can we see in this the opportunity to stretch? Or how can we see the opportunity to get more skillful or more patient? Or, you know, we look at somebody and they just drive us through the roof, you know. So the only thing that we can see is everything about them which is wrong, you know. And how can you say, you know, what is, what's, what's beautiful about this person, you know? So rather than focus on the horror or the nightmare or the irritation or the fact that you just want to slug them, you know, you reframe it and begin to see something in it that helps you respond in a completely different way. When you're obsessed with how fabulous somebody is, and they're just absolutely magnificent. I remember it was a nun, actually, who was saying that when you're in love with somebody, even their farts are attractive. <laughs> and so then it becomes, you know, a skillfulness of beginning to say, well, you know, maybe that's not the whole picture, you know. Or maybe we, you know, what's happening here that our mind is locking into something that's pleasant. And, and then that takes skill that we're not trashing the person but we're beginning to look at, well, what's actually going on here? And how can we reframe this in a way where there isn't such a kind of obsession? Now, one of the things that's really curious to me about obsession, particularly around another person or around relationships, is is that I don't see it as actually very simple at all. And part of the reason why is because I think one of the reasons why we become obsessed with another person is because there are some very basic needs that need to be met where we have the feeling that if we can get as close to them as we'd like to get, then those needs would be met. So it ends up opening up psychological territory, which is complicated. And rather than dismiss all of that as saying that's totally invalid, I think what's actually needed is to accept the fact that those needs were not met at a time in one's life and then to begin to bring the kind of care and attention and real interest to oneself that one is hoping one will find from another person. And so rather, you know, the the classical way of dealing with sexual desire in a Buddhist context is with asubha, looking at the unbeautiful nature of the body. But one of the fascinating things about this is, is, is that I don't know about whether this is an entirely gender thing, but for me, it's like, you know, bodies are not what get me activated. That is not where I get turned on. It's the possibility of being close and intimate. So I can dismantle a body till the cows come home, but it's actually not touching where the root of the longing is. And so for me to actually touch that longing to be seen or to be known or to be close, then rather than just cut it up into pieces and dismantle it as saying, this is not lasting, I have to bring the skillfulness of bringing the quality of metta and caring and attention to what is actually needing that kind of contact to myself so that that actually can fill myself up. And as I do that, then I'm less obsessed and focused on an external source as being the fantasy of where that fulfillment is going to come from. This is not uh, simple. It's actually psychologically quite sophisticated to do this. 
but it's, I have never found super practices to be helpful in dealing with that kind of, a, of an issue because it's not rooted in just simply the beautiful aspect of something. It's actually connected to a need that was not met and that has got to be recognized and honored. It has to be. We can't just cut through that and say that has no validity, no value. It's fighting that need that was met. Yeah. For the longest time it manifested in the sexual desire that way, but that has fallen off. And I found that with some people it was that intimate intimacy that was so, you know, as adults, you know, what we're most used to in terms of that kind of intimacy is through sexual contact with another person. You know, we're used to that as being like the easy, permissible, accessible way to have access to those kinds of feelings. But that's not the only way we can feel intimate. You know, we can feel intimate in the present moment with what's just happening right here. And when we begin to bring a meditative awareness into what's actually going on in the present moment, then there's intimacy is possible with more and more of life. And the longing for that kind of fulfillment can happen in the present moment, independent of particular people around to meet us there. We can bring that capacity for intimacy to everything that we're doing. And so rather than intimacy being specific to, you know, the kind of magical moments with a partner, intimacy becomes a way of life. Juicy, rich, wonderful way of life. But my goodness, the territory that one has to open up in order to get there, one has to actually experience the level of not having been met and the kind of horror of what that actually felt like in order to begin to allow that to release and to begin to shift into something else. It's no joke. So there needs to be a certain amount of kindness to oneself when one gets lost in obsessions because one recognizes that, you know, this is actually coming out of some really deep needs that were not met. And not just to smash oneself into pieces because the manifestation is not according to one's sense of how it should be looking. That is not helpful. But to begin to open up what the territory underneath, which is actually allowing that kind of manifestation in the first place. It takes guts to go there. This is not for wimps. And that's why we need friends, because, you know, sometimes it's like you just need somebody to sit in the space with you and help hold so that you recognize that it's actually okay to be there. You know? Yes. Thank you for asking. It was interesting for me with both experiences of craving and aversion that the primary sensation I had with both was of a constriction, you know, either a grasping or a pushing away, but definitely a sort of flexing of the body. You know, there was a discomfort in that, you know, sort of a crack. But more interesting, you know, in recognizing this, the recognition itself gave its sort of uneasy, open, yes. just the respect of that awareness sort of brings in the qualities of the immeasurables where these things take on a different perspective that is nearly some problem, you know, problem play, not nearly some shock. Like, oh, you can see it for what it is rather than become entangled and engrossed in it. And that perspective or, you know, the lack of fixation or obsession seems to change everything, every quality of that human experience without getting rid of anything. Exactly. And so you found the golden key. Well, I like the idea of being simple. Yeah. Mike Tyson was 
forward and saying, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. I don't know if that makes him a sadhu, but, you know, affective nature tends to hit me pretty hard. And if my response is contingent upon complexities, I rarely get there. It has to be able to respond directly in the moment with simplicity. That's one of the things that I love about this tradition or these teachings is, is, is that it's, it's simple. But not easy, not at all easy, but very simple. So in a way, I think I've heard it described as basically giving welcome, whatever comes up. And there is uh, apparently a capacity within us that is sufficient for a whole lot of dragons. I guess that would faith action. Somebody asked a monk once what he believed in. His response was not to make a problem out of anything. Well, I had a wonderful opportunity today dealing with personalities, but there's an incredible potential for sound and fury, signifying mm-hmm. not much. It's interesting to be able to skip a lot of drama, is the word you use. I, I usually refer to it as the dog part, I mean, just the dog case. I do that in my mind, I do that in my relation. It was kind of nice today, just kind of about it. I realized you work valet in, Jam- in Cherry Creek, and that's not within my problem. I don't I'm very grateful for the practice that I remember. One of the most compassionate teachings I ever got was at Green Gulch, where Professor Tension Anderson was talking about, you know, the hell rooms. He looked me straight in the face and said, you know, you're in hell. It was the most compassionate moment of just recognition. And I remember the release, physical release. Mm. It was just like the quality of that acknowledgement. Mm. Somebody's willing to speak the truth, even if it's not polite. It is a huge relief. Huge relief. It is nice to know that liberation is that near hell. But you can be in hell and liberation is right just there. Normally I'm happy for the conversation to go on for quite a while, but I've got some specific thing in mind for the end tonight that'll take a little bit of time. So if it's okay, can we wrap up the discussion? Is that alright to do that now? Yeah. So can I ask Steve to do guided meta meditation? Yeah. Coming back into a posture that feels comfortable. Reflecting on these teachings tonight, on this discussion. Reflecting on the effort of being present for all of this changing feeling. Allowing the awareness to come into the heart. Settle in with recognition of the heart's desire to be at ease with all of this change. To welcome pleasure and pain from a secure place. this wish for ease and security well-being to yourself repeating silently to yourself may I be at peace with all of this change.
may I feel at ease and safe in this experience. be free from suffering. Allowing the heart and the awareness to open, open to all of the people in this room. The opening further to all people in all directions. offering this loving-kindness, this friendship to them. May all beings be at peace with the change in their lives. May all beings be at ease and safe in their experience.
May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.